Hello everyone and welcome to Cane and Rinse. This is volume 8, issue 368, where we will be covering Persona 5. But before we get on to that, play along with the show. Upcoming issues include Disney's Aladdin, Ape Escape, Monkey Island 2, LeChuck's Revenge, Paradroid, and Final Fantasy X, the first of the PS2 entries in that ongoing series. Um, If you feel like giving back to the show, we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash Rinse. As much as a dollar, which is equal to 69p or 88 uh, euro, uh, whatever the p of euros is, <laughs> 0.88 euros, um, will get you access to early shows, um, subscriber exclusives, sh- such as the console specials, which are exclusive to the Patreon feed for a limited time. Also, you get um, extra podcasts where Jay and Leon kind of natter on about uh, being old men and their life and all that really interesting stuff that you definitely paid for. Uh, No, but seriously, it's really interesting. And uh, they sometimes talk about games that they're playing at the time. Um, We also um, have other podcasts as part of the Cane and Rinse Network. So on Wednesdays, we have Sound of Play. On Thursdays, we have Playwright. Fridays, The Sausage Factory. Um, And uh, all of those are fantastic. um, And they deserve your subscriptions and downloads. Um, And please make sure to subscribe to us on your podcast app of choice. Review and rate us. It all helps. And also, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Joining me, Joshua Garrity, in issue 368 are Leah Haydu. Well, if it's got me and Josh, it must be a Persona podcast. Charlotte Cutts. Hello. And making their Kane and Rince debut, it's Jesse Fuchs. That is correct. You must be tired after today. Let's go to sleep. You have no choice. You must go to sleep. (laughs) Um, So uh, in today's issue, we will be covering Persona 5. This is the fifth entry in the long-running JRPG series from Atlas. Um, Notably, this is the second time that they've dropped the Shin Megami Tensei pre-title for this title so they started doing this with persona 4 golden and and have seemed to commit to it with this which i just find fascinating um as a point of like marketing like at a certain point the persona name became actually more popular and more widely known than shin Shin megami tensei so yeah that's interesting um so this was developed by p studio uh, published in Japan by Atlas, um, in the US by Atlas US, but in Europe it was Deep Silver. The director and producer, who's returning from 3 and 4, they uh, he also did uh, Catherine and multiple uh, Persona uh, spin-offs, is Katasuri Hashino. The designer is Naoya Maeda. 
um, programmer Yojuri uh, Kosaka, um, artist Masayoshi Soto, and uh, Shigenori Sojima, um, who um, focuses on character design. Um, and also returning um, for uh, compo- composing duties is so- uh, Shoji Meguro. Um, he has composed multiple, multiple Shin Megami Tensei games and Persona titles, mainline or otherwise. Um, it is worth noting that this game suffered multiple delays. So it was first announced in uh, 2013. Um, and it was set for release in 2014 for the PS3. PS4 wasn't even in the equation at that point. Um, and then it was delayed because they needed to work uh, on finishing up certain aspects of the game. I don't know the specifics of that, and I'm not entirely sure they've been revealed to the public. But it would go on to miss its 2015 date as well, and then finally come out in 2016 for both the PS3 and the PS4. So it's released, the original that is, for PS3 and PS4. In Japan, it came out in September 2016. Um, In North America and Europe, it came out in April 2017. Now, as is the way with planning these issues, there has been an announcement related to Persona 5 before uh, before this podcast was recorded. Um, there is going to be a, a special edition, uh, kind of in the same realms as something like Persona 3 Fez or uh, Persona 4 Golden called Persona 5 The Royale uh, or The Royal. Um, and this will be releasing in Japan in October 2019. And uh, in North America and Europe, we have to wait until 2020. Um, we'll talk about the additions and how we feel those uh, Im- possibly will impact the game later on. So the reviews, um, I couldn't find much in the way of reviews for specifically the PS3 version, but um, I get the sense that you know both versions are much the same, except the PS4 is slightly better in terms of visuals and performance, but there's not a huge amount in it. Um, but the PS4 version, on game rankings at least, is averaging about 93.4%. So um, it was initially well-received by critics. Um, and sales for the game, according to Games Industry Biz, Persona 5 has sold uh, roughly 2.7 million copies worldwide. It is the best-selling uh, entry in the series so far. Right, now is time for our histories. Um, I'm going to start with Leah, just because, uh, aside from myself, you're probably the biggest Persona fan on the... on the. In fact, why, not aside from myself, you are the biggest Persona fan uh, <laughs> on the Kane and Rince crew. So I imagine yeah, you were... Yeah, I would, I would say that's yeah. probably accurate. So I imagine you were... My cat is named Kanji. Yeah. He's off causing trouble um, so we, i i assume you were really excited for this and day one. Oh yeah. yeah of course i was um yeah i i had pre-ordered the the special edition that comes with the the bag and you know the the little plush morgana who is currently on my desk at work and uh yeah i i was very excited for persona 5 um back when i thought it was going to come out on the ps3 only uh i mean it did obviously come out on the ps3 uh i don't have a copy of the ps3 version but from what i've heard it's 
more or less the same, maybe slightly worse load times, but the, the game is so stylized that the art doesn't really suffer that much from being on a slightly lower-powered system, um, from what I've heard. And again, I haven't played it myself, but um, yeah, I I have played, uh, I, I think, all of the Persona games, including spinoffs at this point, at least once, um, and I it's it's my favorite game series uh so this was something that i was very much looking forward to uh and uh played pretty close <laughs> i remember that um when the game came out i was getting ready to move into the apartment that i'm currently in and i was trying to hold off until i was fully moved in so that i could you know have it have it at my my new place and and have that to look forward to and i did not make it uh i couldn't wait that long so i started pretty close to right after uh the game came out and uh, continued through the moving process and have uh, have been kind of replaying it now um, but haven't gotten all the way through my replay, but, uh, the first time through, yeah, I put, I, I put about a hundred hours into it, which I imagine is probably fairly standard for most people's first playthrough. Um, but I'll be interested to hear what ha happens to you guys too. Yep. So, um, I'm a pretty big fan of the Persona series, but probably, well, nowhere near as much as, um, Josh and Leah. <laughs> because um, I started um, playing um, RPGs, JRPGs with Persona 3. Um, I'd completely missed out on Final Fantasy and um, the first one of the first games I played when I got my PS3 very, very late in 2015 was the um, emulated version of um, Persona 3. And it just struck something with me. Like I really um, enjoyed the slice of life side of things alongside the dungeon crawling. So I'd, I sort of fell in love with the series and I played Persona 3 more or less twice through and then I played um, Persona 4 Vanilla and then Persona 4 Golden. So I was really, really excited to play Persona 5, um, but with a little bit of um, hesitance because I've also tried to play mainline SMT games and really, really struggled with them. And I also played a little bit of Persona 2 Eternal Punishment and I didn't really get on with that as well. So I knew that I needed something that was really accessible, otherwise I would give up pretty fast. And so I pre-ordered the uh, Steelbook of Persona 5 and um, was really hoping that Amazon wouldn't fail me and it would arrive on the, the day, and it did. And then I just sat down and played it for like hours and hours and then managed to get through it within a month. Um, I think my finish time was considerably shorter than 100 hours, probably closer to... 70 or 80 because I tend to um I don't skip all of the optional content but I do naturally seem to rush through games a little bit more than the average person but yeah I um I really enjoyed my so first... 70 or 80 hours is still pretty significant yeah yeah it is um especially when you consider that a lot of the final fantasy games you can get them done in 30 40 hours so um yeah I um I got it done within a month and then I went back and played a little bit of it for this podcast, maybe three or four hours. But as I'm going to talk about, I didn't really, I wasn't as taken with it the second time round. Jesse? Yeah, no. Uh, well, since this is the first time I'm on, maybe this will also be a good way to give a little of my background because uh, this game actually does tie into that, which is that I played, I played Persona 4 first in 2014 um, and I am an adjunct instructor at the NYU Game Center. 
Uh, and the main class that I like half of what I teach is uh, play labs. And then the other half is basically intro to game design over and over. And that's a class where um, one of the assignments, for instance, is that students have to do a pitch for a, you know, digital a video game from their imagination that they think would be cool. And as the teacher, it kind of behooves me to have at least kind of a vague understanding of all genres that they might bring up, um, you know, cover up any sort of weak points I might have um, and be able to at least sort of talk semi-intelligently about it. Um, and so... A decent number of games I've played over the last few years have been like, well, all my students talk about this and I keep, you know, seeing them bring this up as an influence. Um, and JRPGs were definitely kind of a, a, a weak link for me. I played a lot of uh, CRPGs in the 80s, Wizardry, Ultima, et cetera, et cetera. Enjoyed them a lot, but they are very grindy and repetitive and kind of, you know, fell away from them. Uh, haven't played any Final Fantasies and the sort of aesthetic of them, I just find a little, a little off-putting in a way that Persona I did not, right? I, I was like, well, I should, I should dive into a JRPG and be able to kind of understand it from the inside out. Just on a purely superficial level, Persona 4 looks like my kind of game, right? You know, the art style, um, the music, everything about it seemed very inviting. And so I played it. Um, I played the, uh, emulated PS2 version on my PS3 and got about halfway through and liked it, but had other stuff to do. Um, and then maybe six months later, around the same time I got a Vita, I got a cold. I got a very bad cold for like a week and a half. Uh, and I was like, well, there's no better time. And I played all of Persona 4 Golden, um, while like sick in bed and getting to imagine that I was not a, uh, coughing middle-aged man, but the most popular boy in high school. Um, and it was great. Um, and it just took me, you know, it was the perfect game for that kind of like, I just need to get through this week. And I really loved the characters. Um, you know, I really just enjoyed the entire thing. I want to see what happened next, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and so then, you know, a year and a half later, uh, Persona 5 was about to come out. And I am generally not a person who like, is really on things first. I, I have kind of a backlog, like when a new game comes out, I'll, I'll pick it up eventually, et cetera, et cetera, even if it's part of a series I like. Uh, but for whatever reason, the case of Persona, and I think it is that there is something very comfort foody about it for me, um, which is both a positive and negative, as we'll probably get into. Um, but um, I was on it, like I asked around with my students, like, hey, do you know any stores that have broken embargo? And I found the store that was willing to, you know, sell me the steelbook a week early. And I just sort of dived in in a in a way that is that was enjoyable, but might be a little unhealthier than my usual engagement with games where, you know, I'm pretty good at fritting away an entire day, but usually that's because I'm doing five different things as opposed to just sitting on my couch for eight hours and being like, well, this is me now. And just, you know, like and enjoying the first five hours of that, but maybe not so much the last three, but just sort of being in this sort of slot machine like flow state. Um, so I really binged in a way I normally don't. Uh, my first playthrough of Persona 5. I also played it on normal, and I found that so, uh, between sort of the just general buttery smooth UI and all of that, and the fact that I almost never died, um, it was just a difficult game to put down. Um, and again, in kind of both a positive and a negative way. I kept wanting to see what would happen next, and there wasn't really anything 
as a break point to stop me from just going and going and going. So I probably played it for about 90 hours over three to four weeks, you know, bingier than I think any other game uh, over the last few years I've played. Um, and it was fun, you know, and a lot of my students were doing the same. So being able to talk with them about where they were and all of that, and it was really enjoyable. And I, you know, hopefully we'll kind of talk about the sort of paratextual level of the game of enjoying it for its place in pop culture and, you know, memes and seeing cosplays and being like, oh, I know who that character is. Like all of that surrounding stuff I find very satisfying, even if uh, my opinion of the game might end up a little closer to Charlotte's than uh, Josh's or Leia's. It's well documented that I really love Persona 3 and 4. You can go and listen to um, issues uh, 80 and issues 219 um, of the Kayla Rince podcast if you want to hear uh, my thoughts on Persona 3 and 4s. Uh, you'll also hear Leah's. So I was super excited um, for Persona 5. Um, I I think it was the thing, the, the game I was most anticipating coming out that year, just because Persona 3 and 4 had kind of I just I, I I was so attached to the cast of characters in those two games that to have that experience again was something that I was just not just I I almost feel like excited's kind of the wrong word I kind of wanted to feel that connection again that kind of like I know these characters inside and out in a way that games often don't let you um kind of dig into with and um yeah, so I I got this day one. I I I don't I don't binge Persona games in a way that a lot of the fans do. I try I I do actually stretch it out over a long period of time. Um, I it ended up taking pretty much all of 2017 um to get to the finish line with this one. Um, just because I played it alongside other games and. Yeah, I, I kind of enjoyed it in the same way that you would enjoy like a really long TV show, like trying to uh, break it up into manageable chunks rather than um, getting exhausted with it. Um, my final clock is something close to 130 hours on this game. Wow. And <laughs> I have no idea how that happened because based on any conversation I've had with anyone else about this, I didn't really go out of my way to do anything extra that's just kind of how it shaked out yeah 130 hours of a jrpg where it is pretty linear and there's not much choice or anything like that um it's maybe a bit much but uh we'll we'll get into that later i always like to start um with the first thing that um kind of strikes you about a game um and for this i think it, it, it's impossible not to talk about the aesthetics of persona 5 first um because you know that opening cutscene starts up you've got that acid jazz soundtrack coming in straight away and you've got the red and black visual style so charlotte like what what are your thoughts like you know starting up the game first impressions of just the visual style the aesthetic what what were your thoughts? I I thought it was breathtaking. Um, it's it's nothing too complex, and like we've already mentioned, the PS3 can cope with it very well because it's nothing that's pushing the system really too hard. But it's really really effective and really 
attractive to look at. It does, doesn't get tiring on the eye at all, I don't think. Yeah, I'd, I would definitely agree with that. It's just, it's striking is a really good word for it, I think, just because it, it does catch your eye without necessarily being too specifically detailed or uh or too uh realistic there's a lot of bold lines there's a lot of um kind of almost spray painty type uh aesthetics in in a lot of the lettering and uh and and some of the menu design yeah i mean it's kind of lush and jagged at the same time which is quite a trick and there's just something very new wave about it in a way i really um get immediately it reminds me of like i don't know like uh, some of barney bubbles early 80s new wave album covers i think for for me along with everything that you 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 folks have already mentioned i think the thing that i love most about the the aesthetic choices is how much it enhances the gameplay for me um because you know jrpgs are so menu heavy you're going from you know uh, shopkeeper to shopkeeper um, you're constantly transitioning from um, uh, exploration to combat and navigating the menus in the combat screen and all of that stuff. So making the decision, how how do we make all this stuff that is normally so boring, that's just really dull and functional, how do we make that the most exciting thing about our game and make that really vibrant and attractive and something you are, you're actually like engaging with? And I think that's that's a huge success. Like the 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 way when you kind of stealth attack um, um, opponents, and then it just you the blood from the head like fills the screen, and then you're in you're in the fight with the enemies, and just that kind of smooth movement of like we're moving from exploration into combat in one fell movement, and and it's all done through aesthetics instead of loading screens or or the classic Final Fantasy whoosh um, into the battle screen. Like, it's exciting, it's dynamic, and uh, and it makes everything feel faster than it actually is. It gives a pace to something that is tactical and slow-paced um, that normally isn't there. And to go along with that, uh, not visual, but definitely related to the UI uh, design, uh, I really like the sound design, and this is uh, just even apart from the music, like just the the clicks and the uh, the kind of little pings that it makes when you switch menus or when you scroll up and down, like just those little tiny things that are inserted into this. I I think that they fit really well. Um, this uh, forum uh, post by uh, Nick's Blaster um, on the subject of aesthetics. Whenever I think of Persona, one of the first things I think of is the music. Persona 3 and 4 already had amazing soundtracks that you could listen to both in the game and in your day-to-day -day life. And Persona 5 is no exception. I'm not quite sure what genre you'd call Persona 5's music. I'm, I've heard the term acid jazz thrown around to describe it, but whatever it is, Persona 5's tunes are just as likely to get stuck in your head as its predecessors. Persona has never looked so good, from the cel-shaded art design to the UI to just how information in general is presented in the game. Persona 5 simply oozes style from beginning to end like an over-the-top anime series. There's really no game that I can think of that has the kind of flair that Persona 5 does. Nick's Blaster mentioned music there. 
um, which neatly transitions us to the game's soundtrack. Charlotte, what were, what were your thoughts on the, the music? I mean, I can instantly hear the battle music. I think that's, that's the same for all of the Persona, the, the more recent Persona games, is that when you say Persona battle, like the sound of the, the, the soundtrack is immediately in your head. And it's really catchy. And also, to be honest, it didn't get annoying, even though I heard it hundreds, if not thousands of times. Um, it was really a really nice soundtrack. I mean, I don't really listen to soundtracks outside of playing games very often, sometimes, but the Persona ones don't tend to be on Spotify, so I never really tend to listen to them outside of playing the games. Um, I have to say, maybe I preferred other soundtracks in the series. I'm going to try not to compare too much because it can still be a great game, even if I think that the other games in the series did some things a little bit better but just on a personal preference note I, I'm not sure if acid jazz is really my thing but it was still a, a really enjoyable soundtrack that really framed what was going on on screen screen really really well and that's the best thing you can hope for from a successful soundtrack. Leah I'm going to ask you an important question right now. <laughs> I think I know what this is going to be go Does, ahead. Does <laughs> uh, Last Surprise surpass Mass Destruction <sighs> for you? <laughs> I don't think so, but it's awfully close. <laughs> um, I So yeah, I, I have done a lot of thinking about this because I really, really like Persona 5 soundtrack. Um, and I, I, think, I think that for me, 3 still edges it out. They're all very high on my list. I love all of them. But I think that 3 uh, kind of edges it out. But I, I, Persona 5 is really, really good soundtrack-wise. Um, and, and yeah, I, it is a shame that those soundtracks are not on Spotify, but they are on YouTube, uh, hint, hint. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I have spent a lot of time listening to the music in this game and I, uh, yeah, Last Prize is, is up there as one of my favorite Persona tracks, I would say. And, um, uh, I, I actually did look up the, uh, number of the sound of play that, uh, Josh and I did for, uh, the Persona series, which would have been before, uh, Persona 5 was out and, uh, it was sound of play 70. So, um, that's obviously not including, um, the, the soundtrack from this game, but, uh, kind of gives you, if you want some more Persona music, that's a good place to get it. I really enjoyed this soundtrack. I've enjoyed all of them. And and like Charlotte, I'm not someone who tends to listen to video game soundtracks outside of playing them. But I have called up that YouTube page a couple of times. And yeah, no, I, I mean, just overall, both visually and musically, there's just something sort of, I don't know, tasteful and cognizant about the Persona games uh, that make them stand out for me as someone who um, used to write rock criticism back in the 90s and like used to pay a lot more attention to music than video games. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I owned a few Pizzicato 5 albums and a fantastic classic machine and that kind of like acid jazz meets kind of Burt Backrack sunshine pop, I guess you'd say, uh, zone I'm, I'm familiar with and I, I'm fond of, but it, it didn't occur to me to listen to it for a long time. Um, but it actually playing this game got me back into that kind of whole subgenre. Um, and yeah, I, I just enjoy it. It's, um, it's got a, a nice vivacity. I, it like the Hammond B3 kind of vibe along with, um, I don't know, the, the sort of choral vocals sometimes. Yeah. It's just a really 
um, like a mix that for me would stand up on its own as pop music, even entirely divorced from the game. Uh, although the game certainly has uh, made me appreciate it by playing it over and over and over and over. Um, another forum post. This is from uh, Jack the Blue Mage. It's been some time since I played through Persona 5, but what has stuck with me is how how it is a masterclass in top-down game design. The fevery theme drips from every corner of this game, not just the phenomenal UI, but also its twists on the now-familiar Persona formula with the social links and the design of the Velvet Room. It is also there in the soundtrack. I encourage everyone to sit and read the lyrics if they haven't already. Playing in the role of a bunch of cocky kids out to steal hearts and change the world is fun to begin with, but this excellent thematic design enhances the experience dramatically. Um, Yeah, Jack the Blue Mage basically (laughs) saying what I said just before he did. Um, Thank you for that. Um, I'm going to issue the spoiler warning now. Uh, From this point onwards, if you have not completed the story of Persona 5, you are not safe. If you do not want it to be spoiled, uh, pause the podcast uh, in about six months months later. When you've completed Persona 5, you can continue listening. Um, But yeah, uh, you've been warned. So, scenario and story. Um, You play as a main character called Joker. Um, who slowly forms a group um, called the Phantom Thieves of Hearts. Their primary role throughout the game is to steal the distorted desires or treasures of corrupt adults who sit in positions of power in society. Um, And the game is really about kind of um, rebelling against the structures of society and getting angry um at you know at those structures uh, at those structures of power and the people who wield it and um and being uh, and doing something about it rather than just uh um letting it happen um so i i was you know speaking personally i was really um taken aback by um how persona 5 really goes full in on this early on um I think it, it, you could argue that later on it kind of loses its way a little bit, and I'm sure we'll get onto that. But like, it, I at least in the kind of like early hours of the game, it really, really wants to um, get across that this isn't just going to be a fun adventure with uh, like the Scooby Doo gang where they solve a murder mystery or something. That we're actually going to tackle some like institutional and political problems that exist within Japan and the rest of the world. And especially, you know, this game came out in 2017. Um, We had, you know, us UK people just had Brexit. The US folks had just had Trump. Um, I kind of needed this. I kind of needed a game that went, you know, get up, get out there raise your voice against liars that told me like no you have to take action you can't just sit in despair like you have to you know get you know get organized and get active what were what were your what were your feelings on this Leah um coming off of the the uh, you know persona 3 and 4 about this this theming yeah so i i um 
it's dark. It's really dark. <laughs> like I, I, yeah. I don't, I don't know that I was necessarily expecting that because, uh, like as we just talked about with the um, the kind of visual and audio audio themes, it it's if not perky, then it's at least it, it's at least bright and uh, kind of bold and colorful. And then when you get to what the actual themes are, it's it's kind of surprising. Um, you, you don't expect that necessarily. Uh, from from, as you say, kind of a, a Scooby Doo high school group, as as it were. Um, and I have heard some people argue that it's it, it seems almost like a um an intentional hey look at what we're doing and this is a shock value thing. Um, because I, we we haven't like uh, met, said specifically, but uh, the game starts off. Um, with uh, and and this become this actually becomes more important later. But uh, it starts off with the protagonist. Um, the reason that he is in uh, the city now is because he um, he stopped what was most likely going to be a sexual assault, and it happened to be a an important uh, politician that he that he stopped. So he uh, was then. Um, or I don't know if he was sued or if he was just charged with assault on this person because, you know, he's just a high school kid and this is a big, important adult. So he is the one who is in trouble, despite the fact that he was trying to do the right thing. Um, so that's how the game starts. And then the first dungeon is to uh, to steal the heart of a high school gym teacher who is physically and sexually assaulting his students. And that's not something that you see in video games tackled in this kind of way. Um, I, I mean, I, I can see where people might have thought that it would uh, just an attention grabbing technique. But the other Persona games, even though they might not be as dark initially, they have some pretty, pretty heavy stuff in them as well. Um, Persona 3, you have uh, students who are shooting themselves in the head repeatedly, uh, and even though they're not real guns, you know, it's the imagery is is there and is definitely something that, uh, that people are going to take away from that, uh, especially without context. Here, you know, you're, they are showing from the beginning that they are not going to shy away from going after these, these really weighty topics. And... I think that they do, for the most part, a pretty good job of showing that that is a serious thing and showing that there are going to be consequences and that there are going to be effects. But I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a little torn because it also, it also is, you know, it's. I, I, I'm, I'm having trouble putting this into words. I want to hear what you guys think because I, um, I, I, I'm a little torn about whether they they should have gone this dark and this hard. I think that it mostly works, but it something does occasionally feel off about it to me. I think maybe starting with the um the case, so to speak, that they start with might have been a bit of a misstep. I feel like they could have arranged it so that that came a little bit further on in the game, perhaps, because it it feel it just feels a bit off that you um have this character who tries to commit suicide and she just kind of disappears and that's kind of how you meet Anne but i feel like that is such a dark place to start with maybe it would have been better further on during the game it was kind of jarring just to suddenly have that be the first sort of 
thing that you tackle as the phantom it is kind of a downslope because i mean you 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 start off with a guy who is attacking children and then the next thing is oh this guy's plagiarizing like it it feels it it does feel a little maybe that's my problem maybe it's just that the balance feels off um it is worth noting um that a lot of the um, examples of uh, corrupt adults in the game are taking inspiration from real-life scandals in Japan's history. So Komoshida um, specifically is um, based on a teacher called uh, Kimura, um, who in 2012 was held responsible for a 17-year-old student committing suicide in their home. Um, and um, uh, you you will find real life examples of pretty much all of um, the uh, corrupt adults throughout the game. So I I get what they're they're trying to do. Like they're going, this actually happens. Like this isn't some stuff we've made up to for shock value. Like the the this is based on real history that has happened here that we need to face head on. Um, and I do think, um, for the most part, I agree with Leah that they they handle it pretty like it's on the line, but they handle it tastefully. I think the problem is less um, how they handle these bad adults and more how they undermine themselves with their own cast members engaging in activities that like it feels like they're criticizing sexual harassment at one minute, and then Morgana is looking up and skirt. <laughs> And it's just like, you've just undermined your point. Overall, I mean, I I enjoyed the beginning of this game and I enjoyed how that dungeon ramped up and, you know, Kamashita makes for a a good person to hate. Um, Definitely an unambiguous villain, if nothing else. While while we're on the subject, I think we should also talk about um, some of the homophobia that's present. Um, I, I everyone refers to the notorious beach scene. Um, so all the characters go on this trip to the beach, and there's a scene where two um, uh, ma- male characters who are coded as gay, but are coded in such a way that they become a homophobic parody. They, they are they are coded um, as, tried... as uh, predatorily uh, homosexual. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, come up to the male characters and then they run away and go, oh no, please get away, get away. And it's just that typical kind of gay panic thing, which I was shocked to see in a game in 2017. If you showed me like an arcade game from the 80s, like there's tons of stuff like that. And it's it was bad there. It's bad now and it's bad then. But like... The fact that it was the 80s, it buys you a little bit of, well, people were idiots back then and they didn't know better. 2017, Atlas is an international company. They should know better. Like, the, the, I just thought it was really unacceptable. Think, and, and you also encounter them in uh, one of the locations with, um, with Vulgar Boy, with uh, Ryuji, right, where they try to assault yeah. him there. It's in um, one of the hip maybe. places. Yeah. And uh, I mean, the weird part is that it is like, according to my colleague, Naomi Clark, who grew up in Japan, like they're very specific references to like two gay panic sketch comedy characters from some Japanese TV show in the 80s. Um, So it is like if like Paul Linden, Charles Nelson Riley just happened to show up in your game in 2017. Um, 
Like, if you're Japanese, I, I, I can't imagine that the young people playing this game even know those characters. I don't know the context, but it it's, yeah, it's incredibly bizarre and off I think what surprised me the most about that and, and the fact that, I, as, as I think we'll probably segue into here, there are just no, other than those two, there are just no queer characters in this game at all. Um, but I, I think what surprises me the most about this is that I felt, and this is not without its problems, obviously, but I felt that kind of gender and sexuality were treated with more respect in Persona 4, and there were problems, certainly, but they at least talked about things. Like, there is, you know, there's Kanji who um, who explores what he feels and who he is. That's That's part of his whole dungeon. And, you know, whatever you think about how the yeah. outcome of that is... I, I think that it probably could have been better. At least it's, you know, it's a start. It's not just a ha-ha, look at this, he's gay. And, you know, the same yeah, thing with Naoto, and... who, you know, has has yeah. uh, a lot of questions about her own gender. And, you know, again, regardless of what you think about how, how it's resolved, it's still it's still there. It's still a question and it's not just played for laughs. And this feels like yeah. a step back to me, a, a significant step back. Yeah, because... Yeah. Kanji and Naoto were real people. Yeah. Like they, they were given a voice, and yeah, I, I think you know, especially now, I think the resolution to Naoto's story is pretty, it, a little bit problematic yeah, sure. now. Um, but Naoto's still, Naoto's not a parody. Mm -hmm. Like Naoto's not like a joke. Naoto is taken seriously, and yeah, to see this is disappointing. Yeah, and if you couple that with the fact that they didn't do anything, um, so for one, they had parodies in this game, unacceptable parodies, and two, they didn't do anything constructive to include um, the option, for example, to date men in this game, is really frustrating. And what particularly, which is kind of besides the point, but what really frustrated me about the fact that there was no romantic uh, confidants that you could build up that were... With, with another man was that I didn't actually particularly want to date any of the women in this game. <laughs> like I saw the, the strongest, um, for me, when I played it, the strongest links that my, my protagonist had were with uh, Yusuke and Goro. So, and I couldn't date either of them and all of the women, I, I wanted to explore romantic, what they used to be called social links um, and see what scripts were coming out. But I didn't actually really want to date any of the women. So that that was quite very annoying and felt, to be honest, given that Atlas is now um, very aware that it's producing games for the West and not just for Japan, because there's been a lot of articles about how it's a cultural thing in Japan and you've got to be careful because it's it's difficult to produce games in Japan because different things are acceptable there than are acceptable here. But it's like they're producing games for the West now, so they need to um, take that into account when they produce the games at least that's that's my opinion. yeah I, I agree with that and i i don't i don't think that that 
characters should be inserted into the storyline just to have them there. But I feel like there are plenty of places where this could have worked. You could have had the option to have certain characters. You could at least have the option to have to, you know, attempt to initiate a relationship with a male character. And whether that particular character is interested in that or not, the option isn't even there to ask. I mean, it's 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 just not. And yeah. I mean, I, I had mentioned before in our in our Slack channel that I I I could not conceive of trying to date on because I feel like I always felt like they were kind of hinting that she had a relationship with Shiho, like, you know, a a more than friend relationship with Shiho. And and they never explored that. And maybe it wasn't maybe I wasn't reading that correctly, but it, it just it feels like there were places that they could have had that kind of thing be at least an option, if not, you know, a, a mandated thing. Um, so um, I'm just going to transition us with uh, two posts from the forum. Um, this is Nick's Blaster again. Um, the area where I feel Persona 5 falters is in its story and characters. The story is good, but I can't say it really resonated with me this time around. Whereas Persona 4 took a more narrow approach focusing on a, the small town of Inaba and the inner struggles of its main cast, Persona 5 goes for a more broader scope with both its story and city location and focuses more on the corruption of people in power than its characters inner demons i didn't find this approach to be quite as compelling and at times the story felt really long-winded and more drawn out than it needed to be i think how the story is presented also plays a part in its awkwardness as well because Atlas really hammers the idea of you are a delinquent, you are a troublemaker, nobody wants you here, over your over your head again and again, so much that certain situations seemed ab- ab- absurdly unbelievable. From beginning to end, the world of Persona 5 seems distrustful and hostile towards the player, like a helicopter parent. And I felt myself just getting downright angry at how badly the main character and his allies were treated by everyone else. I also found myself feeling quite lukewarm towards the characters as well. I don't think they're bad characters, but I think they pale in comparison to the Persona 4 cast. I feel the main reason for this, though, also links back to my issues with the story. We get to see plenty of the Persona 5 cast being quasi-superheroes as the Phantom Thieves, but we don't really get to see them being friends or getting to know each other. There aren't really any special events like Persona 4's camping trip or cross-dressing pageant that show the Persona 5 cast interacting together outside of the missions and battles. There is a trip to Hawaii and the group, ce- and the group celebrations at the fancy buffet in the amusement park, but even during these events, the focus was still on Phantom Thieves' business. As a result, the main cast felt somewhat distant in my eyes. They struck me more as a group of co-workers than a group of friends. This detachment also permeates through many of the social links you make with other confidants that you meet in the city. And overall, I was left with the sense that many of the relationships that the main character made with other characters felt very conditional rather than genuine. Maybe I'm just weird and reading too much into it, but something about the social links didn't quite gel with me. Um, And this one from Sage and Onion Knight. Like many JRPGs, I could probably do with... Like many JRPGs, 
Persona 5 could probably do with being a bit shorter, and it takes a good few hours to actually get past the obligatory swamp of tutorials, but I've really come to enjoy this game. It has that tone that has always attracted me to the series from afar, that mundane Japan paired with a really imaginative, really bizarre underbelly. And I particularly like how the story's themes of challenging the status quo even play into those mechanics. Don't know if it's reading too much into it to say that I welcome a game that speaks up for the value of simple relaxation, socialising and free time in a world so consumed by capitalism, skewed work, life balances and side hustles and what not. So we we started talking about Futaba. Um, I want to kind of talk about our favourite moments and, and just our favourite characters um, within the main cast. Um, so I'll just run through the, the main playable characters. So we've got Joker, who's the main playable character. Uh, Ryuji, uh, Morgana, who's your cat friend and pervert. Um, Arn, um, Yusuke, uh, Makoto, Futaba, and Haru, who's the last character to be introduced. Um, Jesse, um, what, who who's amongst your favourite characters in this cast? You already mentioned Futaba, but is there anyone else that you were particularly drawn to? Yeah, I mean, I thinking about it, if it was a funny thing where if I put them head to head with the Persona 4 characters, it's not like I like them individually less. But I think that first comment, I think there's certain structural aspects that make me not as attached to them as I was with those characters. And in one sense, it's admirable that 5 did not imitate those structures directly, but it does kind of get across why 4 might be kind of lightning in a bottle that's kind of unreplicatable, right? And I think one reason Futaba stood out so much to me is the fact that that is the one palace where it's like one of, I mean, it's kind of the best of both worlds, right? That Persona 4's dungeons were kind of limp proc gen, you know, roguelike kind of structure. And like, you know, they'd have some bespoke parts, but generally were a bit of a slog. But the narrative stuff was so good. And, you know, generally by the time someone was in your party, you had just seen them like stripped down to the, like, it's like you had gone through a weekend of some 70s Earhart seminar cult thing where no one can go to the bathroom and everyone primal screams. Like, you know, by the time you're done with uh, Chie and Yukiko or the Yukiko boss, like you have a very deep sense of their relationship. You know, by the time they're actually in your party, like they've they've gone down, right? They, you know, you, you're really in invested in them. Um, whereas Futaba's is the only palace where it's someone who will be in your party and the going through the palace and all the cool bespoke stuff that these uh, palaces tend to have is in the service of that kind of psychoanalysis rather than like, here's a bad guy and here's things that, you know, symbolize how he's bad. Um, and that your connection with these characters, you know, you gain them through their opposition to the bad guy. Like, you know, Yusuke and Makoto learn to rebel against these people, uh, but it's still kind of from the outside and you don't get that that connection in that way. Um, and there is that, like the other person mentioned, the sort of group DM kind of like, these are sort of coworkers. And I think that actually that dynamic works well. I think some of the best interactions are in just the group DM banter. Um, 
but there is kind of that, you know, in four, the characters had a lot of pre-existing connections, like you're kind of coming into people know each other, even Kanji, like they know his mom, like they go back and there's kind of a, a milieu that is being leveraged there. Whereas here it does feel more disconnected in that way. I really do like Makoto quite a bit. Um, yeah, she turns into a motorcycle. Oh, well, she doesn't, but her persona does. <laughs> yeah. um, she stands out as probably my favorite character in the game. Um, not only because um, I just like her personality. Like she, she's very you know book smart, but not nerdy. She's kind of very assertive. Um, but also, I I think she has the m- more compelling. The relationship she has with her sister Sai uh, Najima, um, I, I think, is the more compelling, probably the most compelling relationship in the game for me. Of that, just pressure of this really like overperforming sister, and you know, you have to li- live up to that legacy. Um, and then, the kind of both of those characters, kind of evolving understanding of that, and kind of ending up meeting each other halfway. Um, at a certain point, um, yeah, I just I I love that dynamic, and also she her costume is incredibly cool, and uh, when she punches stuff, <laughs> it looks really cool. I I know that's really shallow, possibly, but I just I she's really stylish, and and Leah has already mentioned her, her persona is a motorcycle, <laughs> which is just the coolest thing in the universe. Um, so yeah, I, I really, really like her. I think she might have my favorite, she might be my favorite character and also maybe have my favorite, I don't know what you call it, a kill screen, right? When you do an all out attack. Um, one nice little bit of tinsel is the like character based, I don't know, like Morgana has a cigar for some reason in in his, (laughs) um, but yeah, they're all pretty stylish, but I think hers might be the best. I uh, I do want to mention Ryuji quickly because I felt I really felt like um, Ryuji was trying to be that um, um, uh, what's what's the character's name in Persona Four? Yosuke. Um, Yosuke. 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 He he was very much trying to be Yosuke and maybe a little bit of like Kanji in there as well, trying to kind of capture what people loved about those two characters. And it really felt like they only really captured that kind of surface level appreciation of why people love those characters. He's probably, in terms of the the characters that you do actually get to know properly, Haru. I I, I don't. I just don't know Haru. I just felt like I ended the game not knowing who she was. Uh, I got to know who Ryuji was, and I just don't like him <laughs> at all. Um, I I just I think he's a pale. Uh, of all the characters that you can compare directly to predecessors, I think he's the palest um, comparison to his uh, to his predecessors. Anybody else do kind of a double take with uh, Yosuke and Yusuke? Like, really, really. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I think part of that is also that that Yosuke has more of an embedding in the surrounding where not just his relationships with the other characters, but like his dad owns Junus and there's that kind of subtext of the big company coming in and squeezing out the mom and pop shops, but everyone stops there anyway, but they kind of resent it and they resent him. Like, whereas uh, Ryuji has, you know, he has his track team drama. And if you go down his social link, sure. Um, but yeah, I, I pretty much agree with that assessment that that he seems like a fine character, but I just wasn't compelled by his 
by his backstory in the same way. They didn't really help by making him look quite a bit like Kanji. It's like they were inviting invitations and he was really just a pale version of some sort of mashup of Yosuke and Kanji for me. Yeah, he, he has kind of a promising start because, you know, when he comes into the story, he's also this outcast. You know, he, he you, you can draw a lot of parallels. There's a reason for him to be there with you. But then once you get a couple more characters in your party, I mean, I just kind of dropped him first thing because he just wasn't his story was kind of over by that point. Like we've seen all that he has to give. I will say if I were a younger and skinnier man, I would definitely get a no more rules t-shirt because that's a cool shirt. I believe they sell those on Fan Gamer. Uh, I could be wrong about that. Oh, I'm sure they, they do, do have a bunch of Persona 5 merchandise yeah. that um, this is not sponsored by Fan Gamer, although I'd love it if it was. Um, but um, yeah, no, they, <laughs> they have some cool stuff. So be- beyond the um, the main party, um, what what are some of our favorite um, supporting players within within the plot of Persona Five? Charlotte, are there any kind of standout characters for you amongst uh, amongst the supporting players? I think I think the the biggest example of that for me is the Doctor. Um, I did end up doing a um, romantic confidant with the Doctor, but I think even if I hadn't gone down that route, just having this like sarcastic person who's like peddling drugs to you to teenagers but somehow comes off as being the coolest person on the planet regardless it was just really and also the the gun shop guy was really fun as well just um very sort of sarcastic and dry but at the same time for some reason helping out um high schoolers with getting up to no good without knowing the full story yeah, I I really liked Sojiro. Um, he I thought he uh, he was an interesting character because he doesn't he he kind of goes the opposite way from Ryuji. Like he's in the beginning, he is, uh, you know, he's he's a reason for you to be there. He you know he's a functional character, but then as the story goes on, he actually gets more interesting because you find out what's going on. You know, you find out that when he's talking on the phone to people, it's not just the random women that he says he's going out to meet. It's you know his daughter who then becomes this incredibly important part of the story. Um, but yeah, I, I liked I liked Sojiro's whole arc, and also he has a sweet hat, so you know there's that. Yeah, I like I like Sajiro a lot, um, and I like pursuing his story, and I like his kind of you know combination of gruff and kindly. Um, I like punk rock doctor. Um, I did have a perverse appreciation of Kawakami, and I mean I do mean perverse. I mean just the, uh, I mean it's five thousand yen, which translates to about forty four bucks, which makes it just that much trashier uh, that your um, homeroom teacher is coming over to clean for you. Um, and weirdly, Operation Maidwatch is one of the few kind of pure character building hijinks cutscenes in this whole game as compared to Persona 4, which has a ton of them, right? Almost everything else that happens in this game is kind of pushing the plot along. Um, and it's so bizarre and so perverse um, that it kind of tips over into camp for me. Um, and so, and uh and, you know, her social link when you go down it, she's got a, a reason, you know, there's there's someone you've got to go kill in mementos to help her, um, as with pretty much all of them, which is a little odd. Um, I did like Hafumi. She was my first, the first time I played through, I romanced uh, the, the Shogi girl because um, she loves board games and is bad at them. And I identify with that. Um, <laughs> but I did find it amusing that, like, literally to romance her, you have to you have to defeat her demon mother. Um, seems a little on the nose. 
I'm going to move us into the antagonists of the story, but first of all, DeMonth says, This game was basically blind-pitched as high schoolers whose special powers activate when they rebel against authority, and I was sold. I had fun, but also I feel the game felt like it was deeper than it was, like every villain would wax on about the nature of society, but in the end, they were all cartoonishly the worst people ever who were always wrong. I was more immersed by acing my exams. So I, I, will, I will say one thing to the contrary here, and it is that, yes, these, these are horrible people, but most of the time that you actually interact with these villains is within the palaces, and there it's intentional that they're, like, cartoonishly evil. This is kind of, like, the, the essence of, of what's wrong with them, of, of what, you know, they're doing that is so bad. Uh, they're slightly, some of them are slightly more complex in the real world than they are in, in their own palaces. But, um, I mean, I, I don't completely disagree, but that, that is kind of a devil's advocate thing that you can, you can say about, about the cartoonish nature of uh, the villains in the, in the uh, game. I tend to agree with DeMumph that they they do kind of err on... Even outside of the palaces, they are kind of completely inexcusable and unsympathetic. Like, none of these... The, you haven't got, like, a, com, you know, a complicated villain that kind of uh, challenges your morality or anything like that. There's no... There's no um, Killmonger from Black Panther amongst amongst these characters. They're all selfish and they're all self-serving. Um, the one sort of like for at one point party member, but ultimately antagonist that I did really end up liking was Goro Akechi. Um, not because I think he's especially deep. Just because I thought he was really entertaining and yeah, if there um, was anybody who didn't see it coming yeah. that he was the that he was the rat, then I'm I'm yeah. sorry, <laughs> that's that's not it's so it's so obvious that he's going to turn. But I I don't know I something but about the voice actor's performance. That. Yeah, his the voice actor's performance I think is really good here. Um, I just yeah. Uh, he's really entertaining, um, and I like the fact that you actually get to play with him in his in your party before the turn. Um, and uh, I, one thing I noticed, like I can't help but um, think there's some inspiration from Death Note here with Joker and uh, Goro, um, just because Goro, if you Google Light Yagami from Death Note, and then also L from Death Note. L looks almost well, not exactly, but has a very similar crouched over um, kind of raggedy hairstyle look that Joker does, and Light looks really, really similar to Goro in this game. And I, I just wondered if that, like, the, the, there's kind of like a fee, uh, uh, criminal versus detective kind of thing going on here as well. I wonder if they were kind of drawing a little bit of inspiration from that anime series for this the, these two characters ultimately they don't have anywhere near the kind of like joker versus batman moriarty versus um sherlock holmes relationship that l and light have in that series they just don't have that time to develop that kind of deeper deep and antagonistic relationship um but yeah i thought he was entertaining i like the way they use him um throughout the plot it again kind of comes back to why the Futaba Palace works so much 
better for me than the other ones to some extent is that these are cartoonish villains. But in that one, right, there is this mechanical sense of she's so conflicted in terms of she wants you to beat the palace, but she wants to push you away. And yeah. it feels kind of like a missed opportunity with the other ones, because if you gave these villains a little more depth and like it's not a deep psychological idea, even that people criminals want to be caught on some level, you know, or some subconscious like and it would do as it does in the Futaba Palace a lot to explain why there's always like a conveniently open air duct in this mental palace of theirs for you to sneak through, you know, the fact that the mechanically, you know, th this is ostensibly a hostile place, but there's always like kind of ways for you to get through that are being set up for you. Like narratively, like that's true of most video games and you just kind of accept it as a trope. Um, but it does feel like here, like there could have been an actual thematic depth to, you know, Kaneshiro, um, where when you go through his palace, like he's both being more self-justifying because at the end he's like, look, I went through crap, you know, to get here and now it's my turn. Um, but you don't see that in any of the palace, like going through these palaces should have been for me more like reading, um, I don't know, a, a terrible person who got me to writing their inane self-justification or, you know, where you're like, okay, you're, I, you're awful, but like, at least I'm getting like why you've ended up like this to some extent. And I'm seeing your, you know, weird, um, conflicted nature and your sort of secret greatly on sub subconscious level want to be, you know, cured um, of your of your distortion, because um, I so much like the, you know, as power fantasies go, this broad metaphor of like, we will make you confess with your own mouth, like we are going to go into your mind and sort of cure you of your moral sickness. Um, and then you will want to be a good person, admit everything you did wrong and go to jail as you deserve, like that's a good power fantasy as video games go. Like it's a lot yeah, better than yeah. like kill all the baddies. Um, yeah, but it's right. They don't, they don't follow through on it in a way. Uh, maybe the Madarame one does a little bit. I feel like that's the one where I got the most sense of that kind of self-justification. Well, yeah. And I think with, with cases of fraud, there's, there's kind of, not that I not that I have sympathy necessarily with people who do this kind of thing, but like they're trapped by the lie at that point. Do you know yes. what I mean? Like there's there's a certain point where you've lied so much that if you stop lying, like it's just all like your entire life is built around the lie at this point and there's nothing to salvage after after that. So there there is some kind of like I don't know, not not necessarily sympathy, but kind of like understanding that comes from that. Um, we've all said, you know, we've all lied at some point and really wished we hadn't. And I, that we, I think we can understand uh, understand his predicament on maybe not on the same level, but on a lesser scale, maybe. But um, I think t talking about like the the power fantasy thing, though, I think I felt that most of Shido. Who ends up being like pretty much the primary antagonist of of the game, um, who's the politician character, um, just because of everything that's been going on recently. I don't know if you've noticed, but the world is on fire, um, and just the idea of going into a politician's subconscious and forcing them to tell the truth is just so 
like right now at this point in time is such a powerful idea that I couldn't help but like be totally on board for that. And even though Shido is probably like even more two dimensional than some of the the earlier characters that you uh, go into the palaces for. I just, I was so up for that. Just like, yeah, screw you, Tory scum. Um, like, just, <laughs> just, to, to, just admit it. Admit that you're just full of garbage. Come, come on, just say it. So, yeah, that worked for me. Yeah, although, right, as a character, I find him incredibly boring, and in that uh, basically yeah. his his palace is where this game really, well, everything after the the flashback ends. Uh, I'm not I'm not crazy yeah. about uh it loses a lot of momentum for me. Um but yeah, no, I mean certainly certainly in again in broad strokes I think this game is kind of fantastic in those like thematic arcs. Um it's the follow through. There's one last villain that we we haven't mentioned and I think uh, me and Leah kind of uh stumbled into a similar situation with Final Fantasy 9 recently. Um so, how do you even pronounce this? Yalda Balf? Yalda Balf? Yalda Balf? God of Control, just comes into the plot really last minute. So, there's this whole thing with um, Igor. So, they replaced the, the, the voice actor for Igor. And in the trailers, they don't give any hint that like that's meant to be a big deal. So, I think the assumption from a lot of Persona fans is. Oh, they've recast the voice of Igor. That's just a, they've just done that. Well, I, I don't, I don't know if through... this is uh, if this is related or not, but I, I'm pretty sure um, that the original voice actor for Igor did die. Like, I think that when he goes back at the end, um, he it, it is a different voice actor than you are used to hearing. I, I believe. Oh, yeah, okay. it's someone trying to do yes, the original. It's, it's a sound but, like yeah. it's it's kind right. of kind of like what they did for the Persona Four Golden, and you know the the replaced voice actors for Chie and uh, and Teddy. Okay, but like, but this is like you, completely you, different. I, the first voice like, that you it's, get, it's yeah. still, yeah, you still think, oh, okay, I don't really like this new <laughs> new direction <laughs> they've taken Igor. It's a bit more serious than I was expecting, but hey ho. Uh, I can live with it. Then it turns out he's been the god of control this whole time, <laughs> and the real eagle has just been kind of absent in the plot the whole and the time. And it really does feel like that, like super last minute kind of cosmic villain thing that Final Fantasy loves doing. And I thought and maybe the, the twin jailers that have been uh, have been interacting with you this whole time are actually one person, and she was ripped apart. And, and, and yeah, it's it's it goes some places at the very end that I'm not sure I'm very into. Yeah, look, you play a JRPG. Eventually, the plucky teens have to kill God. That's that's what you've got. <laughs> Listen, I played a lot of JRPGs. I know. I'm, I'm just still doesn't mean that I necessarily have to like. No, it, it did the end. I, ju- I mean, like Persona 4 gets cosmic in a way that's like, you know, OK, fine. But it's very atmospheric and very creepy and like tonally feels very in control in a way that kind of carries it through the the aspect of that. That I'm like, yeah, sure. OK, we kill God, uh, whatever. Um, whereas here, yeah, I it just all seemed very like. I don't want to say padding, be, but like because the plot beats you, I see why they need those plot beats, but it doesn't 
it it feels like it's there because well something needs to be there um i think i almost would have preferred it if if it had been igor uh, like if igor was the the big bad but that it was actually Igor. It wasn't somebody else, like... Because, I mean, Igor is in a position to be the big bad if he really wanted to be. But, yeah, I it, I, I guess you would kind of kill the Persona <laughs> series at that point, or at least really, really, really change it. But, um, yeah, I think I would have preferred that. So, a another forum post from Ben, uh, 77 million... Um, and he says, Persona games are typically lengthy affairs, but of the four Persona games I've played, only five left me feeling that I had mostly wasted the 106 hours I'd given it. I'm not sure whether this was down simply to diminishing returns, a localization effort lacking the care that helped previous entries shine, or even a loss of charm in the transition to more realistic character models. But the balance of hours spent to memorable moments was simply way off. Though the quality of life improvements made the title smoother to play than a buttered piano, but the meandering storytelling and uh, comparatively shallow cast rendered the whole experience something akin to socialising with a mannequin in a design in designer clothing. Persona Five has its superbly designed main cast complete their arc shortly after their introductions, after which they settle into static background roles. Though they can be explored further in their social links, these exist in a vacuum divorced from the main narrative. As such, 5 lacks the depth of character that Persona 3 was able to accomplish by having its party members develop not only alongside the story, but each other as well. Whereas Mitsuru and Yukari's bond developed throughout 3, characters like Anne and Makoto in 5 orbit the protagonist and never interact meaningfully with one another past a certain point. Likewise, only the game's first arc truly gripped me, with its grounded subject matter and personal stakes taking me by surprise. Unfortunately, this turned out to be my last surprise, (laughs) (laughs) as the narrative soon abandoned such trappings in favour of increasingly unengaging villains with generic motives. I think Persona 5's inelegant writing can best be epitomised in the twist involving Joker faking his death. As with so many other key moments in the game, its impact is dulled massively by its contrived nature necessitating a tediously long-winded explanation. The dungeon's designs were also so long-winded that I found myself missing the monotony of Persona 3's Tartarus. At least in 3, the player is rarely required to pay attention while wandering its dungeon's labyrinthine corridors. 5 meanwhile repeatedly asked for the player's attention before very stylishly squandering it with puzzles that serve only to prolong the busy work. I must admit, though, that the mosaic puzzle in Futaba's dungeon was a nice glimpse into the unrealized potential of the game's palaces. For as negative as I've been, I do feel that there is a tight, terrific game buried somewhere beneath Persona 5's reams of reiteration and self-indulgences, just waiting for a ruthless editor to dig it out. As I await the royal, I can't help but hope Atlas remove as much as they add. I think I have some bad news for you. Yeah, yeah, I'm not putting my money there. I, uh... 
I kind of agree with the editing issue. And I mean, even with Persona 4 and like, I like 4 Golden because it's portable and it looks nice and all of that. But even there, I was kind of disappointed with just the approach of like, I, I like all the extras. I like the 10 part series on Jungian psychology. Um, I, you know, I like the game show, but the actual stuff they added to the game itself, it's just, again, it, their, their, their idea is always bigger, not denser or more kind of the systems they already have interacting with each other. And I am pretty positive Royal is just going to be more stuff. You like this stuff? Here's more. I, I, I think so too. And, and I'm hoping that it gets into into kind of exploring some of maybe the characters like it would be kind of cool if Akechi got his own dungeon really um which he, he kind of doesn't here you know I mean he it but I I, I don't know I I think that it, it well it's it's really no use speculating on what they are actually going to put in it um but I do agree with the editing issue I agree with a lot of the things um that uh that Ben here has said um what I will take a little bit of issue with is um the dungeon design i actually really enjoyed uh the fact that these were actually crafted dungeons rather than just being uh largely uh, procedurally generated um they they felt they felt more significant to me in that way uh some of the puzzles that could have been a little bit better designed but i i liked it a lot more than uh than some of the other designs uh that that the persona series has had so far yeah, and there was like a greater interactivity with the mm -hmm. environment and also it was very 3D. So whereas with um, Tartarus and um, the palaces in Persona 4, um, you were just traversing sort of a, um, yeah, it was very two-dimensional. In the first um, environment in um, Persona 5, um, you can actually climb up mm -hmm. and there's a lot of like, upwards movement as well which really makes the environments a lot more lively and more engaging i mean t i like tartarus because it's very repetitive and monotonous and it's sort of like you can half switch your brain off as you're wandering as long as you don't stick around too long or the grim reaper will come and get you um whereas with persona 5 it really is like exploring and finding almost finding secrets and I, I really did enjoy but that. there also is i mean there's mementos so you do have if if what yeah, you want to do is go grind or you know do some side stuff uh you, you do have that option or but you know they even if you don't yeah, <laughs> true uh I, well i mean you don't i don't think too much of it is required is it i i, I did the whole thing so I'm, I'm not sure how much of it you actually have to do but i don't think it's that much if you really didn't want I to you you have to plow through it at the end game, but I suppose you could just never do it, mm -hmm. and then you'd be so overleveled they would all just run away from I you, and true. you'd probably just take you forty five minutes of going from floor to floor. Yeah. Um, I mean, I didn't. Yeah, I I generally I could. I think Shido's was a slog, um, and again af after that, I, the Mementos one was a slog. But like, I thought the 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 main dungeons were nicely designed, um, and uh, yeah, and, and I I much preferred. Uh, their kind of bespoke crafted nature um, to the ones in four that were kind of in between. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think there's something interesting about how the game uses what you might call like puzzle likes and sort of platforming like where it's there for pacing, not for challenge. And it did feel like any time and, and that seemed fine and sort of 
you know, like when you're jumping from platform to platform in the casino, it's not a challenge and it shouldn't be. I don't want Atlas to try to do platforming. Um, it's just a vibe. Um, and the puzzles seemed most successful when they were kind of there for flavor and texture, as opposed to actually trying to be puzzles. Um, like the, uh, in the mementos dungeon at the end, you have to do like walk on these spaces and light them all up stuff. And it just feels like, oh yeah, you're out of ideas. You've, you've, you've gone dry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we've, uh, talked about the story. We've talked about the characters. Um, we've we've kind of talked about the the palaces and the general structure of the game already through those conversations previously. But I think we should get into the nitty gritty of the mechanics and systems of the game. I'm just going to rattle through some of the mater- uh, returning mechanics. Um, I think if you want kind of a deep dive on these, um, return to um, issues uh, um, 80 and 219 for Persona 3 and 4. We talk in more details, uh, more detail about these returning mechanics. Um, I think we're going to focus more on the new systems that they introduce in this this issue. Um, so returning mechanics include social links and the fusing of personas. So this involves kind of increasing your um, relationship to um, to a max of 10 with either um, your main party or other confidants uh, within the world. And basically this um, helps uh, helps um, with uh, your persona arcana. So it levels up a certain arcana which helps you fuse personas of that particular arcana to a greater level. So it allows you to make more uh, powerful personas um, within that branch. Um, You can also grow stats like charisma and confidence through life sim activities such as jobs, joining clubs, eating, um, helping people study, etc., etc. This will actually help you unlock... Um, later levels in uh, in people's uh, social link chains. Um, you can shop for items, so weapons and armor and all of that stuff, very typical for JRPGs. Um, also, the knockdown and all-out attack returns, although with a bit more flair, I think, this time. The all-out attacks have never looked this uh, beautiful or or flashy. Um, and, yeah, those are the returning systems. Um, and uh, I think they're all pretty much, uh, apart from some aesthetic flair, um, a lot of those are pretty similar to how they functioned in previous titles. Um, but let's let's talk about the new systems. I think one thing that really struck me is um, struck me as really a change of pace was the introduction of stealth in uh, Persona 5 when going through dungeons. Jesse, how did you feel about sneaking around palaces like Solid Snake and Metal Gear Solid? I mean, this kind of gets back to the platform-like thing, but here it's actually an important mechanic yeah. that if you mess it up, you might get one hit killed. Um, because that is sort of the, like, you know, if you, like, it's, it's, sometimes it's really good. It feels good um, at certain points, and I like it certainly as flavor, um, I do think in Persona 4, if you if you hit, I mean, there's that weird action element, you know, it's mostly a turn based game. But if you if you hit an enemy from behind with your sword, um, you do get the first turn advantage in that as well. I'm not sure if it's exactly the same as the ambush, um, but it's yeah, I mean, it's certainly thematic. It, it, for me, it is just the fact that if you mess it up, 
I mean, it's uh, the systems, the battle systems are often very much about insta-kill or sort of like, if you get the first turn, they're never going to get to attack. If they get the first turn, you might just lose five hours of progress or whatever, right? Um, so the fact that there is often so much sort of mechanical pressure based on doing the stealth right did make when it would goof up um, a little I, I really thought that I wasn't gonna this was actually something that I was concerned about going into Persona 5 because you know that some of the the previous stuff in the trailers had had um shown the the stealth mechanic kind of in action and and I think emphasized a bit about how important that was going to be and I am so bad at stealth that um I was I was worried for sure but um I I found it to be forgiving enough that for the most part it was okay um and also you can use cover which was not a thing that you could do in other persona games um in fact you kind of have to uh at in some point in some uh parts of the dungeons um the I guess the main difference would have been that yeah you could get surprise attacks on care on uh, enemies in three and four, uh, but here it's even if they just see you your threat level goes up and if your threat level reaches I never actually had this happen but if your threat level reaches a hundred when you are in a dungeon then you I believe are just kicked out of the dungeon like I think you have to go back to the entrance that's what they tell you. Yeah, did anyone did anyone hit a hundred percent? Because no, no, I yeah. got to like that's about where I was. <laughs> I think it's really not hard to. Uh, did anyone the follow stuff. the newspaper journalist social link very far? Yep. Huh? Because like that's like that is one I just didn't because I was like, well, I never really this isn't a problem, and your benefits all seem to be about lowering oh, the really? security <laughs> level. Yeah, no, I I got I got up to like maybe oh, two or three with yeah. her. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm going to uh, do a little bit more with social links or confidant levels this time around. I think um, I'm maybe 20 hours into the playthrough that I started, but I did it as a new game plus, which allows you to keep all of your money, all of your weapons and armor, and all of your stats. So, um, like you, you don't keep your social links, but you already have. You know, I had maxed out all but two of my stats by the end of the game, and those two were at level four. So, you know, whereas normally you would need to build up your stats in order to get some of these social links to start, here I can just, you know, hop right in. So things are going a little bit faster. I think I'll have more time for social links. I think, um, if I can just mention this already, I think one of the quotation marks new um, features that was surprisingly effective for me was the use of gun. Um, uh, sorry, was the use of guns. Um, because it, if I remember correctly, it was in the very first Persona game, and I remember one reviewer on YouTube saying, but they have all these attacks, why have they got guns? This makes no sense. But actually, the way it's used in Persona 5, just as a way, like, it's not an insta-kill if you shoot an enemy and you have a limited amount of ammo, and also it's more to try and knock them down. I found that really, actually, quite effective. I did quite enjoy having a weapon as well as all of my Persona attacks. Yeah, it was treated almost like just another element, kind of, but one that everybody has access to. Uh, th that also kind of links in with the new hold-up mechanic, um, where you have an opportunity, if you've knocked down uh, an opponent, all the uh, party members gather around, uh, gather around the enemy with guns pointed at their head, and you have an opportunity to either convince uh, this enemy to become one of your personas, uh, get some items off off of it, uh, get some money, or simply just let it go. Um, and I really, I really love this system. 
um, this. So, so, uh, Josh, I will, I will only take issue with you here in one thing, and it's that you put this under <laughs> new mechanics, because yeah. while, uh, yeah, while this was, uh, of course, not a thing in three or four, I think in both one and two, you had to negotiate your personas mm-hmm. into your party. Yeah. Is that the case um, in SMT? Yeah. I've I've played a little of one. Yes, by it is. I think yeah. so. Yeah, yeah I, I I believe it happens in Shin Megami Tensei Nocturne as well. Um, so yeah, I I was aware that this was new. <laughs> this wasn't new to Shin Megami Tensei <laughs> as a whole, but in terms of kind of the modern understanding of yeah, Persona, no, this of, is of definitely um, definitely reintroducing something that hasn't been in the series for a while. And I, I, I loved it. I, I think it's brilliant um, because before this, in three and four, it, it just felt like getting a new persona was just a random. It was a roll of the dice, yeah. effectively. Yeah. And there's nothing fun about that. It's just okay. I got another pixie. Yay! <laughs> um, whereas this, it's very choice driven, and if you pay attention and you kind of understand the kind of personality types for all the personas you can pretty effectively convince um all of them kind of first time um i struggled with it initially but like as i got towards the latter part of the games i just like yeah okay you're this kind of this kind of persona i can definitely see you preferring this choice this choice etc um yeah i just I and, f- and you can also get uh um as I think it's always as part of your your social links. Some of your party members uh, will get the ability to uh, kind of give you another chance if you if you uh, fail a negotiation, um, and it's, it, it's not one hundred percent effective. But sometimes they will step in and let you try again if you uh, if you don't give them the right answer the first time. Yeah, this was one of the funny things where I, I became retrospectively annoyed that that the game, despite getting the steelbook, did not come with the physical manual because about 30 hours in, I actually looked up the manual on the web and it's like, it's a nicely done manual. And I learned at least three things that I wish I had known many hours earlier. Um, and one of the big ones was that they list the different personality types and kind of tell you what sort of response, you know, like if you're gloomy, you like vague responses and don't like perky ones or whatever. Um, and yeah, I, I, I did miss the, um, the floating tables and the other crazy crap, uh, from Persona 4. <laughs> it's just like these nonsense enemies. Um, but I think this was, this was much better overall, like fighting the, fighting the personas that you're later going to get is a really, um, yeah, engaging loop. And those conversations I found fun. And then a lot of times just like when I was getting tired of fighting, it was really nice to just be like, ah, just give me money. I don't, I don't need to, I can't, I can't kill you with an all out attack. And I do not want to do another turn of this. Some, some of the other abilities you actually gain through confidant perks. So when you um, uh, level up a confidant chain to a certain point, uh, you will unlock abilities that you can use in combat or outside of combat um, in, in a variety of different ways. But the one that I think is, Easily, my favorite um, was um, the Hitafuni perk, where you you gain the ability to switch out characters mid combat. Um, this this is something um, borrowed from uh, Final Fantasy X, um, which we'll be covering in a future issue. Uh, me and Leah will both be on that one. Um, <laughs> but I, I I just being whenever you're up against you know some enemies that have particular weaknesses, and you know that somebody. Who's still in, you know, who's on the bench 
could effectively um, use the, you know, use their abilities to exploit that weakness. It's so slick to just be able to swap someone in and out and it not be any kind of trouble whatsoever. You don't have to go into the menu or go to a save point to switch characters around because certain enemies are going to be in this area. It's just easy and simple and um, and it just gets gets you to the good part of kind of exploiting people's weaknesses and getting those knockdowns rather than the messing around with menus too much. And there's like a handful of different enemy types that weren't in the previous ones, like Psy, for example. So yeah. there are more weakness, um, like more less of a chance that the characters in your team are going to be able to exploit a particular weakness. So it's pretty cool that you can swap people out. Yeah, no, and and it does cost you Joker's turn, so it is like an actual strategic tension. And yeah, no, that perk, I mean, this maybe gets at my, um, I mean, this might be an issue with JRPGs in general, and this is sort of the representative of them for me, where um, what I like in an RPG is that the new abilities I get open up my choices and make, you know, and sort of complicate the game, but don't just necessarily make me um, straightforwardly more powerful. Um, and the Hufumi perk, really, that one felt like the exception, where all the other buffs were, like, there's enough interesting mechanics in this game on some level to have interesting thematic buffs, where I understand why this social link gives me this kind of buff, but they're not things that are really under your control, and they're not things you can really strategize around, other than the baton pass being the other example of this, where you feel like getting a power actually opens up your options in a way that's going to have to make you reconsider things, whereas... Every other buff I got in this game, um, like when you level up Futaba and sometimes she'll protect, you know, she'll block or you level up someone and sometimes they'll get rid of someone's status effect. Like, that's nice, but you can't plan around it in any way. So it doesn't really affect the way you play the game. You mentioned uh, Pass the Baton there. And I, I have to say this is one of my favorite um, additions um, coming from Persona 4 to Persona 5. Um like one of one of the most frustrating situations you can find yourself in in the earlier two entries is you've exploited a weakness of a character um the but there's another character on the stage who um who has a weakness that can be exploited but the character that you need to use is a little bit down the the chain and and having to wait, and that only for only for the enemy character to just get back up, and you've missed your opportunity for an all-out attack. I love that they recognised that frustration and then created a system to get rid of that. Whereas, as long as you're chaining together these knockdowns, you can actually pick the next character whose turn it's going to be. But then also, as long as you carry on this kind of combo of knockdowns you actually increase the damage you're doing as you're chaining these these attacks together and it's just it's a simple system but it encourages you to play persona in the way that is most fun to play persona where you're constantly going right it's weak to ice ice right it's weak to fire fire instead of kind of uh, fumbling around with um, with other abilities, you're just kind of focusing in on what are these characters weak to, and then the game actually rewards you for focusing in on those weaknesses. Yeah, you, you talked about um, uh, things that kind of 
how this makes uh, battles a little bit easier or, or, or flow better at the very least. And I think that that's a pretty good summary of the new mechanics for me is that a lot of them just make things flow better like there's yeah. a lot of what you would call i suppose quality of life improvements in this game that make it i it as beginner friendly as a persona game is ever really going to be i mean there's 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 still a lot to go through and there's still a lot to to understand and to to kind of get used to but i feel like it it's easier to pick up some things in 5 than than really it it has been in almost any of the other persona games i think that i've played i mean there's literally a snap to weakness button which kind of is both a mm -hmm. strength and a weakness where yeah i mean in sort of sort of like it's almost like a rhythm game sometimes where it's so snappy and you just like decimate you know the main frustration is waiting for the xp screen to load because that takes longer than the combat did <laughs> Um, but a lot of times that is sort of the dominant strategy and, and there is, I mean, this kind of gets back to my theory of like, I like the high, I like the low and there's a middle problem I have with these games. And I do feel like the systems, they have really engaging kind of low level heuristics where for like the first 10 or 20 hours, you're just kind of, yeah, putting together elemental stuff and the baton pass and all of that. And it's really satisfying. And then, and I know like. Leah, you've gotten deep into these games. Like, if you want to get to the high level where you're like making a spreadsheet and understanding if I combine fortune and hierophant, what do I get and why? Um, and like thinking three fusions ahead, like I can see this game being enormously satisfying. But I do feel like I kind of have hit my ceiling, like trying to go from low to mid, if that makes sense. I do like spreadsheets. Yeah, yeah. So you skipped over the mid-level heuristics <laughs> straight into like, I'm going to dominate and min-max this. And I totally... Well, it's not so much that I skipped them as that I did them, you know, 10 years ago when I played Persona 3. <laughs> right. Well, but what I'm wondering, like, what would be some of the... Like, okay, yeah, no, one I, mid... If somebody, if somebody were coming into it. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess it would... I guess... I think that... Honestly, some of the social link stuff can help there. And what I'm specifically thinking about is the twin social link. Um, they have you fusing characters, or fusing personas, rather, that meet very specific criteria. And I think that that can help understand how the process works. There's also, uh, I think, and I didn't go through them that much because I was like, come on, I know how to fuse. Let's go, let's go, let's go. But I, I think that there are a a pretty decent number of tutorials that will help with that kind of thing. Otherwise, I mean, I, I, this is far from just a persona problem, but I think that a lot of it is, is external. Um, and that's not a good thing, really. But it's something that I, I've noticed from take a drink dark souls um <laughs> has has a lot of the same issues you know where where there are a lot of really deep things that you can do but not all of them are explicitly spelled out in the game itself it's it's you know some of it is external and you know you you, you there are resources there but they're not always right in front of you which uh can get frustrating for right sure. but that's the high level stuff and i think i mean not to go on on dark souls but like there's mid-level heuristics there of like first you learn like put your shield up and wait people to bounce off it then you learn don't always have your shield up um and i feel like in persona one sort of thing i figured out was sort of contraindicating elementals of like generally if you get someone who does ice they will be resistant to ice but in fact you kind of want to give them fire because if you're gonna fight something that is weak to fire they 
probably have ice attacks or, you know, that sort of like um, switching the elemental uh, sort of valence. Um, and that's something like I figured out maybe 40 hours into the game of thinking about and I felt like this satisfying like, oh, OK, like that's a chunk that I can kind of manipulate that I didn't realize before. But um, I tried doing some of the strength, the the twins links, and I did the first few. But after a point, um, I mean, this is partly just the issue with the tarot is that's just 23 cool things in no particular order that don't necessarily have kind of a a grid of intuitive relationships maybe um so let's move on to our forum correspondence this one is from fieldy um they say uh, i'd been meaning to pick up a persona game ever since i heard Kanan rinse's own josh rave about the series on a previous show I believe leah was on those shows too but you <laughs> I know was, but i was not Kanan rinse's own until persona 4 <laughs> i don't think yeah, I may not have even been well, then. I'm not sure. I don't we know, know. we know who <laughs> Fieldy likes more. Um, yeah, that's well, all I'm saying. Under understandable, uh, I guess. <laughs> when I saw early footage of Persona 5, I was bowled over. This game looked like nothing I'd ever seen before. The red and black anime art style of the trailers had me hooked. Day one for me, I started my playthrough and became very invested. Then the events in my life took a turn for the worse. In a matter of two months, I lost I lost both my grandparents. Reality was a hard place to be at the time, and in between managing stress at work and pretending I was coping, I needed an escape. Persona 5 was that escape for me. For a couple of months, I would steal a few hours every evening to boot up my PS4 and follow the adventures of Joker and his friends, and yes, I always watched the intro to the game. Persona 5 became a welcome distraction, and the more I played, the more and more invested in the characters I became. With each new heart they stole, the tension seemed to rise, and the risk of the Phantom Thieves being caught became very worrying. Almost everything about this game captivated me. The unique art style, the story, the classic JRPG mechanics with a twist, and of course the amazing soundtrack. My only annoyance was that in some places, it felt like puzzles were made awkward and artificially lengthened. Then, after around 97 hours, I finally completed the game, and I'll be honest, I shed a tear. I'd spent so long with this world that the characters felt like friends in some sort of odd way. I still find myself humming the odd tune from the game and look back at my, on my time with Persona 5 fondly, but also with a tinge of sadness remembering the hard time this game helped me get through. Uh, next correspondence is from Midnight Dayman, who says, Recently moved four hours away from my friends and family for work for a few months ago. It's only for a year, like our protagonist, and didn't know anyone around me when I first moved. I started playing Persona 5 just to while away the empty evenings, but quickly got sucked into the melodramatic story. I find myself thinking about An, Ryuji, Morgana, Yusuke, Makoto, best girl, obviously, Futaba, Haru, and the rest while I'm at work, waiting to race home and spend another hour or so with my digital friends. I think about sitting at Café LeBlanc, sipping coffee while eating curry and reading, listening to the TV in the background, and my friends filtering in and out of the scene. This would be all well and good, a fun visual novel but nothing memorable if not for the exemplary JRPG gameplay on display here. With the breadth of personas and skills you master, each palace is initially a puzzle to be solved as you encounter new foes with unknown weaknesses. But then you experiment, recruit and fuse new personas, and learn how to quickly take down your enemies. 
The combat would be repetitive in that bad-slash-grindy JRPG way, if not for the fact that the encounters aren't random, so you can avoid them if you'd like, and the sheer joy of the battle music. You feel the acid jazz soundtrack is grooving in your fingers and up your arms to your head as soon as you hit the game intro screen, and it pervades everything. Instead of rolling my eyes or getting frustrated when I encounter a new room full of enemies, I yearn to ambush each of the shadows and hear that same great battle theme over and over. And don't even get me started on the other track that starts up after you've sent your calling card and you're heading for the treasure. The story is no great shakes. A group of outcasts and misfits band together to take down those in power who care not for them. But in this age, the themes resonate. Young people disillusioned with society because the traditional paths to success are cut off from them, but those above them in society resent them for bucking the system. I think this is why Makoto speaks to me. I'm a former student council member, honor student, and now a lawyer, not a prosecutor like Sai, though, and can really understand her sense of overachieving, but for what? What is there in life after school, after work, after pushing ourselves? After becoming a phantom thief, casting aside societal expectations, and seeking to change the hearts of men? Friendship. And finally, Aaron says, Persona 5 was a game that rekindled my love of JRPGs. After years of thinking the genre was bloated and stale, Persona 5 came swooping in and whisked me away on an incredibly stylish, indignantly righteous and heartfelt journey. The social link mechanics blew me away. Never before had I seen a game that placed so much narrative and mechanical emphasis on hanging out with all your cool friends. And also Mishima. <laughs> I want to bring up Futaba in particular because her portrayal of mental health was really refreshing to see. To me, once she joins your crew, her issues are never, as I recall, stigmatized by the Phantom Thieves. She's allowed to just be herself, quirks and all, and she's still an incredibly valuable member of the team, saving you as she does from Morgana's looking cool, Joker. Um, expression. It was just really nice to see a character with mental health issues be given the room to breathe in that way. While her social link story is about overcoming some of the obstacles she faces, it always seemed to be on her terms and driven by her will to change. Her story of an extreme introvert reaching out for help and finding cool supporting friends really speaks to me. Persona 5 was so good that I've since gone back and I'm playing through the backlog of Persona games now. It's brought me back into the JRPG genre in a way I never thought possible. One could say it has stolen my heart. Thank you, everyone. If you want to contribute um, your thoughts and feelings on future issues of Kane and Rinse, um, go over to canerince.com slash forums and find the uh, the uh, related thread to whichever game you want to talk about and uh, maybe your post will be included in future issues. Um, let's move on to Twitter correspondence with our free word reviews, starting with Charlotte. Ashley Johnson says, style over localization. Jonathan Lloyd, disappointing gay panic. Alabaster Mage, heart not stolen. Matt Fantastic says, so damn long. Kate or death, go to bed. The Tiege, mementos life decisions. Matthew Wilson, social justice warriors. Smegand de beheads. Sure, says smooth jazz heists. Andrew Elmore says, um, funky jazzy jams. Ben Vernal, vibrant. 
atmospheric funky <laughs> um if you want your free word reviews read out on uh, issues of cane and rinse check out um at cane and rinse on twitter we send out a call out whenever we're um after free word reviews so look out for those um, all that's left is to um, give our summaries on Persona 5. Um, I tried to follow uh, Leon's example with this and order this uh, from most negative to most positive. Um, I think I've got this right, so let's start with Charlotte. I'm going to keep this br- as brief as possible. I feel like I've been complaining about the game the entire podcast, but actually... It's a great game and you should go and play it. And it's probably now, looking back, not my favourite game that was released in 20... Or that I played in 2017 because I played some more games that are going to be covered in Kane and Rinse in 2017 that I really loved. Um, but it's, it's a really, really good game. And for that month of time that I just played this game, I was completely sucked in. And I'm sure that when you go and play it for the very first time, I would advise you to play it and take 100 hours, take 130 if you want to, because um, the first time through, it is amazing. But I feel like when I went back and I thought about things more and I took the time to think about all these problematic areas that we've discussed, and also when I went back to do a new game plus, I just wasn't as taken with it as I was with other games in the series. And the problem with Persona, for me at least, and probably for a lot of people who don't have as positive a view of Persona 5 as the early series, is that three and four pitch it at such a high level and you expect so much more progression from that as well that Persona 5 kind of had a really hard act to follow. So even though I think it's a great game, I did have a lot of problems purely because the previous games are some of my favorite games of all time. And yeah, I just want when people hear what I've been saying not to take away from it that I think it's a bad game, not at all. And in fact, I'm pretty sure when we do um, Final Fantasy fifteen at the end of the year, I'm probably going to be gushing about it. And actually, I don't think that that... To, spoiler alert, I don't think Final Fantasy fifteen is as good as Persona 5. It's just because of the what I have as a comparison framework, so to speak. So yeah, you should definitely go and play Persona 5. Um, it does have problems, and especially if you've played the Persona games before, you're probably not going to like it as much as you liked the earlier ones, but th- that shouldn't stop you still try it out and it's constantly on sale so please give it a go jesse yeah oh i don't know if you got the order right because that that was an unqualified recommendation and i think mine would be more qualified uh it's funny that this is the first show of the forum going to be on because it might give the impression that i'm like conflicted and angsty and have existential crises about games in general and no it's really just maybe this one um in the sense of like i had as i said a compulsive relationship with this game to an extent that I don't normally have um, with games where I was playing it more than I was enjoying it at certain points. Um, And I have gone back and replayed it at a much slower pace um, on hard difficulty uh, where I do find that even though dying is frustrating, it does sort of give me a stopping point. Um, And I found the game more satisfying uh, in that way, although I still found pretty much everything after uh, the flashback ends to be just a big slog of exposition and bad guys talking to each other about their bad guy schemes. And I it it definitely dragged more than uh, the end of the uh, other games for me. Um, That being said, I mean, I do think there's 
tremendously positive things about this game. Uh, the high-low thing comes back to me of just like, I really like the broad metaphorical strokes. I really like, you know, in general, how these games have their social links interacting with the RPG mechanics. Um, and I really like all the little stuff. I like uh, the, the wiggly balloons. I like the books you get to read on the subway. I like the fact that I hit erudite by knowing SOS is a false acronym. And sometimes you get like fun facts about coffee. I like the way Morgana sits in a chair when you're watching DVDs and I like all the overacted dialogue. Um, and there's just so many nice little things um, that carry me through. But on a on a systems level, as I said, my the sort of RPGs I enjoy are ones maybe that feel like open-ended puzzles uh, where they give you an obstacle and you're sort of figuring out a build to get around that puzzle, um, that obstacle, and where the sort of leveling up mechanics are about giving you, as you're getting more familiar with the game, broader and broader choices. And I feel like that does hold true for this game through maybe the first 20 or 30 hours, but that it kind of levels out along with the plot, which starts very sort of grounded and I'm invested and eventually does just become people going, everybody's talking about those Phantom Thieves over and over and over. And just, it, it definitely, I... Uh, if this was a 50-hour game, I think I would be able to give it an unreserved recommendation, as it is, because it is pretty cheap, um, and because I think you will get an enormous amount out of the beginning, and if you haven't played another JRPG, this seems like a, an excellent one to start with. Um, but I would think about, are you the sort of person who's going to be compelled to finish this instead of just watching the end on YouTube or whatever, uh, even if you're not necessarily enjoying it? Um, I and that that's a big source of where I'm I'm ambivalent uh, in, in the true sense of the word of having enormously positive feelings about this game, but also pretty strong negative ones in other ways. Yeah, so I also feel like I have been more negative uh, during this recording than I actually am uh, towards the game. Um, I, I love Persona 5. I think, like, genuinely, it's one of my favourite JRPGs I've ever played. Um, and, and at least mechanically, like, I think the, the core combat system is probably my favourite kind of take on the traditional turn-based uh, JRPG combat system that I, I've ever played. But the the thing is... Persona 3 and 4 are both games that, like, at certain points in the story, they brought me to tears. Like, I was that invested in those characters and their their struggle. Like, like the end of Persona 4, where you go off on the train and they're waving and chasing after you, that is powerful because... I know those people. Like I know them and I know how they feel about each other and I, I remember little funny jokes that we've had between each other. There's a real sense that like there's there's something more than just kind of the, the, the average kind of relationship that you have with a fictional character in most games. Like they like they just did such a great job of selling you on those people. And I just kind of like these guys. Um, I I I like Makoto quite a bit. Um, I I like Futaba. I I I like all of them, apart from uh, apart from Ken uh, Kenji. Kenji. 
Okay, what, what's his name? I forgot Ryuji. his name. That's how Vulgar much I like. Oh, Ryuji. Ryuji. Okay. Sorry. I, I got him mixed up with Kanji Nishima. from Persona 4. That's how memorable he is. Ryuji, I don't particularly like. But I like all these people, but I never... Like, the end of Persona 5, I was like, thank God that's over, because it's been 130 hours, and that was way too long. Um, I had a lot of fun. I highly recommend it. I I do think it's one of the you know the great examples of the genre, but it does its light doesn't quite shine as brightly as Persona Three and Four. Leah, I I don't think that anybody will be surprised to find out that I agree very largely with uh with what Josh just said. Um, if it weren't for Persona Three and Persona Four, I think this would be like one of my favorite games of all time. As it is, it's still pretty high up there. I still really do like this game a whole lot. But I've played so many JRPGs, like so many, that I I I I don't know how highly that I really would place it. It's um it does a lot of things that I think are vast improvements over most of the JRPGs that I played, including uh in in some cases um the other persona games i think that the combat system is impeccable i think that a lot of the improvements that it makes in kind of the menus and uh and just in the composition of a lot of how the game plays is is very easy to get into it flows very well it's um i, I like i said before it is as beginner friendly as one of these games is one is likely to be um it 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 feels very good mechanically, but it doesn't quite have the same heart that three and four did. And we had um, amongst ourselves, we had discussions um, about how much we should be bringing the other Persona games into this discussion. And I don't think you, I, I mean, I, I don't think you can really talk about Persona five without at least talking about three and four. It just, it, it, that association is never going to not be there. And I, I think that in a lot of ways, it's a good thing because a, a lot of people are seeing this game who might not if it weren't associated. A and in a lot of ways, there are improvements that, I, and I think that people who get into the series with five, um, because it's so accessible, might then, if they have a really positive reaction to it, go back and and get even more out of uh, three or four. But um I think what what my my end uh, what the end result of all that is is to say that yes I really like Persona Five uh, a lot and I I do recommend it. Um, it's not my favorite game ever, but I enjoyed my time with it and I intend to continue with my new Game Plus playthrough and see what I can do with the rest of those social links. Fantastic. So all that remains for me uh, is to say is thank you, Leah, thank you, Charlotte, and thank you, Jesse, and all of our correspondents and editor Jay as well. Um, thank you for listening um, at home. And uh, if you enjoyed this uh, podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review on whatever podcast app um, you tend to frequent. If you're on iTunes, it's especially appreciated because that algorithm is, you know, it helps. Um, and also just a reminder, the Patreon, patreon.com slash And just as little as a dollar, We'll get you access to all sorts of uh, bonus shows and, and early access and all that stuff. Um, and and you'll, you'll help uh, help us cover costs like hosting and all of that stuff. It, it really does help us out. 
Um, so next time in issue 369 of Cane and Rinse, we avoid joining Will Smith in his trip to the Uncanny Valley and instead remember the original animated classic in video game form with Disney's Aladdin. Yes. Mm-hmm.